Hello, everybody. It is great to be here again for one more time. My name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the host of GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've done 17 startups with two unicorns. I was on the original management team at Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion, and also EVA.ai. Love artificial intelligence and quantum computing. Because as we know, AI is the new electricity. we got a whole lot of data around us. I'm the CEO, president, and co-founder of GSD, Get Shit Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in Silicon Valley. So great to have you again for this edition. We're here twice a week on our show talking about incredible topics with extraordinary guests. And with that, I'd like to introduce my guest today. Matt Sauer. And today he's a general partner at Revelation. He's an investor, an entrepreneur, um, has done everything from um, marketing analytics uh, companies all the way to uh, Sauer Ventures. So with that, today we're going to be talking about traditional assets versus the reality of the world. What it, what do we need to do in terms of allocation and how can we really dominate the space? With that, I'd like to introduce Matt. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? Good, Gary. How are you doing? Ah, I'm doing great. Good to see you. Good to see you. And, uh, you know, that was certainly a nice introduction. And also recently I've become chairman of Everstar Asset Management, which is a Charlotte-based uh, RIA and hedge fund, and is also, as you know, doing a little bit in the venture space. Oh, congratulations, Matt. I mean, you, you got an amazing uh, background. So, you know, from what was this thing? I saw equity investment, Chivitz. What was that about? Uh, um, it was an entrepreneur or well, he's a he's a he's been an entrepreneur, but he's a, a chairman of a large private company who's who had a family office, set up a family office. And I spent some time there where I really got to learn a lot about private equity and venture capital, which was to me, a transition as I came out of the public equity world where I spent a lot of time. And I think they've done a number of investments and they've been they've had some very good success. So, Matt, in terms of your back, how's the world changed in the last uh, three years? And, and then, you know, where, where do you see it gone uh, in terms of investment? How, how are we going to be able? So are my viewers that are out there, whether they're VCs or family offices or entrepreneurs, what's happening? Well, I think that there's a lot of liquidity, obviously, and this is not new to anyone. And that's driving um, people into new asset classes, which is part of my whole theory on the changing asset allocation pie, now that bonds are not going to have a sufficient return for anyone in the future. And it's going to change how foundations and how family offices and how even you know high net worth individuals have to look at where their opportunities are. And, you know, what's interesting is that they talk about valuations being strained. It's certainly not like 1999. And what, what some of the market is showing when you look at the S&P 500 is that there are five or six tech giants that we all know their names that are, they are not just in one business. They consume different parts of the economy as they go along and they continue to, you know, to, to grow and they continue to, be forces in the economy driving change. And whenever you, you know, the, the changes in the last three years have probably been equivalent to the changes of 30 or 40 years, you know, 50 years ago. So it's, we continuously are seeing change. 
you know, the, the iPhone is not, we're so used to it. We forgot what it's like before the, the phone. We forgot what life was like, but it's changed how it's changed a lot of businesses. It's changed things, everything from, you know, obviously application companies to something like Manchester United, which now can reach out to its fans in a way it never could before. So um, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing change and it's going to affect, you know, how people invest. And one of the things about startup ventures and technology is there are two things that are really important. Number one, the technology, which can become more valuable and then the management, which can make the technology more valuable. So, you know, that's a big part of how you spend your time is finding great managements and great new technologies. And, you know, I think that that's what makes them so much more valuable as an investment is there's a double win there when it's done correctly. No, I agree with you. And, you know, the thing that, you know, as we as we uh, uh, look at companies all over the world, we're seeing companies in places like Africa, uh, all over uh, Eastern Europe that are just incredible companies that are like diamonds in the rough. I mean, a lot of people aren't looking in the right places or Latin America, right? So there's some incredible companies out there. And I don't know, you know, Matt, over the last two years, two and a half years during COVID, I don't know what it's done. I know what it's done in terms of our health, but I got to tell you, in the startup side, we're seeing a lot of startups that are starting to really grow that have been nurtured during the uh, pandemic. Because people, quite frankly, didn't have other things to do. They were sitting right. up and coding and, and building this incredible technologies, and they had time to focus for a change. I mean, what do you see? Well, I mean, you're making a, a key point that the pandemic accelerated growth in some areas. And so I think it, it did accelerate growth in some of the, the newer technologies. And we're going to see some breakouts in, in artificial intelligence because, as you know, we're seeing all kinds of companies come along and use AI to solve problems. Or, and that's, that's what it's all about in investing, right? It's finding somebody who can solve problems. So I think that, you know, there definitely has, and in, in, the pace has quickened and it will continue to get quicker and quicker. But um, I think you're in the catbird seat now looking at all of the, um, little gems that have started in the last three years that have been not able to raise money because of COVID, but have gotten their business in line because of COVID and their strategy and their product. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, and it was an interesting point. We did a little analysis with uh, Eva, the company that I founded with uh, Dr. David Yang. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, data around us, infobesity, right? This is Alvin Toffler back in Future Shock, but I use the term, um, every day now because think about it within all of our worlds all the listeners here today we've got about 300,000 items in our personal cloud while the entire internet in 1996 Matt was 257,000 websites you have more information in your own personal cloud than the entire web the problem Matt is that number is doubling every year in five years you're going to have 10 million with the internet of things so how many times to all the audience, right? I, I've been with uh, double PhDs from Harvard. And I had this, <laughs> I said the same thing. I said, how many times the last two weeks has somebody said, you know, Matt, I sent you a message. Did you get it? Where did you send it? Well, I sent it to your revelation. No, no, I sent it to your Gmail. No, Sour Adventures. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember. Well, can you resend it again? I can't find it. And this challenge, because the amount of information doubles every year, that's where things like unsupervised and semi-supervised AI are going to really dramatically change 
these intelligent assistants to be able to help us understand the world around us and deal with data. I believe, Matt, and I don't know about you, but I believe there are going to be two classes of people, the people that understand the data and people don't. It doesn't mean, you know, and you're going to see wealth start to shift up to the people that get the data. Well, in in the two classes of people, the society is going to have a lot of issues as AI solves robotic issues and, you know, people are replaced constantly at different, you know, in different jobs. So eventually I think we're going to have to have uh, FICA insurance and tax um, robots in order to keep social security going. Well, well you know, that, every, time they replace, every time a replacer, a worker is replaced with a robot, it weakens the social security pool of the money going in. Well, you know, and that's, that's a point, right? How's, how's life going to change if we look at the future in the next 15 years, 20 years, I mean, by what, uh, 2033, I mean, Social Security is uh, about out of business, right? I mean, they, right. they're going to run out of funds. What happens then? And how do we fund it? These are questions that on a global basis we got to start looking at because everything's changing. Right. There, the, you know, we're gonna do, there will be a lot of substitution of robot, robots and computers for, you know, for human jobs. And it's, it's a trend that's not going to be it's it's not going to be um, reversible, and I think it's another trend accelerated by COVID. As we see that there's worker shortages, it just drives fast food restaurants to replace them with with automated um, workers. I mean, how does you know? It's interesting, Matt. I don't get it. Maybe it's just me, you know. And, and without getting into politics, but you know, I see uh, signs up in California at In and Out for uh, burger flippers for eighteen to twenty-two dollars an hour. I'm trying to figure out how in the world can they pay that much money? I get the fact that we should have some kind of minimal income, but I don't, I don't know how you can stay in business. I mean, there's only so much a hamburger is worth. Right. Well, the cost of capital has come down in other areas, which may migrate over to labor because, you know, because of interest rates. But if interest rates were to spike and everything else were to happen, that might change our, our willingness to increase the cost of labor. And and I think that, you know, probably there are efficiencies within many of those restaurants um, as they become more efficient over time. They drop one or two workers out of the, their need and then they have, I guess, a bigger pool of money for the worker worker base that's in there. But even that's going to start migrating towards less and less workers and more and more automated uh, workers or robots. No, I agree. And, you know, so if we look at the, you know, look at the future I mean, we see these political shifts taking place. We see the digital transformations upon us. You know, a lot of changes. I mean, how do we, you know, it seems like there's some disconnects and then some connects around the world. I mean, what's the world going to look like in another five years from, uh, you know, in terms of investment standpoint? What do you see in terms of, you know, allocation? Where do you put them? Where do people put their money? Where do VCs well, and offices put their money? Well, I think they're going to put it in into businesses that have, growth potential. And that's going to be in the AI space. It's going to be in the people that solve problems of how to make businesses more efficient and people's personal lives more efficient, which is, you know, I mean, Apple's done that in, in just a massive way. Right. And that's why they're, they're the company they are. And so any, any of those, and I think, you know, some of the, the businesses I've seen where you have, you know, sensors in nursing homes and that kind of thing that make the nursing home more efficient from a, a safety point of view and from a worker point of view, all of those solutions, I think, are going to be where people are going to be investing. Um, but it, 
just a, a note on investing is that so much of investing traditionally people have believed in reversion to the mean, buy something that's fallen and then, you know, waiting for it to revert back to the mean. I think we, we now are in an economy where you really have to have a company that's growing, that has sustainable growth because it has a solution to a problem. Uh, I think that the valuations on old technologies are going to go down, and I think the valuations on newer technologies are going to go up. And so if that becomes more of a world, you know, you talked about bifurcating people into two groups. I think there will also be bifurcation of just, you know, more and more what they called old economy 20 years ago, but, you know, older solutions to problems versus the newer solutions to problems. And I think investing in the newer solutions to problems is going to be much, uh, much more profitable. No, I agree with you. And, you know, and then, you know, we, we look at the world with security, you know, the challenges we have with cybersecurity today, quantum computers coming online that, you know, quantum computers are 158 million times faster than the fastest supercomputer today. And for my audience out there, what does that mean? Paint the pictures with words. That means that, what would take 10,000 years on a, uh, the fastest supercomputer today, today takes uh, 200 seconds. This is Google. And so if we look at it, I mean, there's, you know, and then you start talking about unsupervised artificial intelligence and imagine what we can do. I mean, look at um, drug discovery and being able to do these models, incredible models. So the world's in front of us, Matt. And what well, about that? Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say that COVID was solved because of 20 years of a building process of getting better and better drug research. Had had that come along 20, 30 years ago, we would not have been able to solve it nearly as efficiently. So what's going to happen? So we talk about these, you know, just I'm interested in your point. We have self-driving cars coming online today. What's the world going to look like in terms of insurance? Because, I, you know, in my world, I think we're going to have these cars driving us around. I don't think we're going to own cars anymore. I think what's going to happen is, you know, you have like a, almost like a um, condo and timeshare and you got part of a car because how many how often do you use your car in a day? Right. Rarely. Right. right. The, yeah. The capacity utilization of a car is not high. It's not high. And plus the expense is a lot. Right. So the. Right. Uh, so what, you know, the, in terms of that, I mean, these models of our life is going to change. The other thing about data, I mean, think about who owns the data in front of us and where is that going to go? And so these are compelling questions. I mean, you were on Google, you know, we use uh, uh, Yahoo, we use the search engines, they're using our data. So what happens? Well, some of that is, I think some of that is going to change because the price of applications is falling so fast that a company can have an application and keep the data. They don't have to send it to Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, I was looking at a company that had, uh, that did applications, no code applications. They have the Miss Universe contest. Uh, they have five and a half million Instagram followers. And in five weeks on their own application, they got 3 million, you know, the, the client got 3 million, you know, um, users. So that data is now owned by the client, their client that, that set up the application rather than, than, than Facebook through Instagram. So that's going to change dramatically. So when you talk about more and more data, that's great. And then who owns the data is also changing. And there's probably a Pareto rule there, you know, 80-20 is going to become, you know, it's going to flip over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. But what happens to the Googles of the world that have really, I mean, we use Google, we assume, 
it's free and you know it's a, people just use it uh just because but they do it you know they're they're well, they're going to have to adapt too but yeah so the and they're very adaptive companies facebook and and google and they're they're very strong companies but when you you're talking about a new technology which is basically it's not new but the application when the price of the application falls that it becomes more mainstream for small and medium businesses that depend upon instagram and facebook then it's going to change change the nature of that market yeah no i agree 100 percent. i mean these are really exciting times so what's going to happen what do you see you know take a world view of this if you're if you're doing investment today uh around the world how does it play out today in terms of companies i know you were just talking about the um uh the company that um uh, the Finnish company, I believe. Right. And um, so, but how does it, I mean, do we need to have a worldview? Because I mean, it used to be really US centric. I mean, where do, where do the investors look? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, it, we have a worldview because number one, we don't own all the brain power and number two, we don't own all the consumers. Right. So, you know, there's going to be companies that start up in other parts of the world and there's going to be companies that service other parts of the world. And they're, they're going to be uh, very important and they're going to be certainly worthy, worthy of investment. Do you think we understand that though, Matt, because we've had such a U.S. centric view for so long and focused on, you know, everything was U.S. based and we kind of ignored the rest of the world. Well, I, I don't have the records, but it'd be interesting to look at Stanford's computer science department and see where the backgrounds of the individuals are from. Well, that, you, there we know they're about 60%, but that's another question. I mean, we got to, you know, we got to make sure that immigration is right and really encourage people to come over and study at places. Yeah, like we, we, we have had a, a long-term problem with the idea of the visas and limiting very highly qualified people from working here. And, you know, you're, you're in Silicon Valley, you're in the middle of that. But I think the number is like 95,000 visas or something available. And right. that hasn't been the right number. Yeah, I mean, we, that's, you know, I spoke at the UN uh, recently and I also spoke up in Washington last week. One of the things that was quite interesting, I, I said directly, I said, you know, the power of the U.S. and the amazing people wanted to come, our grandparents, our great-grandparents wanted to come here because they had a hope and there's such an opportunity. Look at Israel did. I mean, a small country as a startup nation has really dominated. I mean, the U.S. has got an incredible engine in Silicon Valley to really develop some like, outstanding technology. And we got to really curate that and understand that we have a jewel that needs to be taken care of. And yes, we can work with folks from all over the world and we should. But we have an engine there that exists today and we got to right. support it. And part right. of the, well, that engine has been it has been fueled by you know by immigrants to this country too. It's, yeah, absolutely. Google, absolutely. Google, Google was started by one. You know, yeah. others. You know, there's a whole long long list. Yeah, and we got to encourage it. You know, part of it. Sergey Brin's parents wouldn't come over from Russia uh, if they weren't encouraged to come over, and you know, hope. But, you know, that I, you know, I'm really bullish, Matt, because I think there's incredible, you know, we're, we are in the dawn of this new age. We're going to be able to explore space in a way we've never been able to do before, which is, in, you know, there's six billion Earth-like planets in the Milky Way and estimated uh, two trillion galaxies in the universe. The recent, I just talked to a NASA scientist about this and an uh, astronaut. And so, in fact, he said, you know, what the most amazing thing is, and I said, what's that? He said, when you when you travel in space and look down at the earth, 
you understand how small we really are. Wow. Wow. Well, there's, you know, and we obviously we have some technology leaders that are really driving that from a private enterprise uh, view. And that's that's fantastic because, that, again, that can help solve problems back here. So, you know, in terms of asset, you know, your allocation, what would you do today? What would you recommend? I know we talk about AI and quantum and these technologies. Well, I think, you know, I'm talking if you're a foundation mm-hmm. where 6040 has worked like a charm for 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, bonds kept going, you know, down in yield, up in price and had less volatility than the S&P. So it dampened your volatility and, you know, it was able to give you double digit returns all the way down, you know, the, the, um, the interest rate yield curve but that's over so if especially now that you you know we're seeing public markets where liquidity pours into them because it doesn't know what else to do and around the edges the other places would be private equity and and venture capital and i think i I expect larger allocations of foundations and family offices to them over time because the, the, the the allocations simply can't be made to fixed income and so you know, whereas, you know, private equity or venture capital might have been five and 10 percent positions of a, an aggressive foundation, they're probably going to have to move up into the 30, 35 percent range in the future in order to get returns that look something like what um, their expectations. And especially as equity markets tire out, you know, it's going to be harder and harder to hit double digit returns. And for a foundation that has to give away five percent of its of itself every year, principal every year, then, you know, it, it, it needs returns in order to, to keep its, uh, to keep maintain the institution. And, you know, I've been on the board in a, you know, of, of a couple nonprofits, including a museum. And when you realize, you know, the, the um, long-term things like fixing ceilings and fixing roofs and operations and all that, they, they need to have returns out of their out of their their donors' funds, and it's been it's been pretty easy for you know a long period of time now. But it's going to get much more difficult unless uh, strategic, smart investing is made in companies that are going to grow in the future. And what what do you think? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking around in terms of inflation, and I see it all over the place. I mean, I, I look in um, when I go shopping at. Um, at the grocery store, where, wherever, at a Whole Foods, or what, I mean, it's like creeping up a little bit. Two dollars here, something costs seven ninety seven. It's now nine ninety seven. Um, lump crab meat that was twenty one dollars is now thirty dollars. This is a year later. Right. What is going on in terms of that? And is that something we should the investors should be aware of so that they're they understand keeping the money in the bank is probably not the smartest thing, right? Right. Right. Well, there's there's been a war on. There's been a war on cash for 10 years, right? You know, as far as the Federal Reserve policy of really not paying you to hold cash. So monetary theory would say that inflation is, you know, always and everywhere based on, you know, how much money is in circulation. And we've certainly increased that quite a bit in the last decade. If, if that holds true, then, you know, and there's other reasons that mitigate inflation, which are technology, although you could argue that technology is becoming more valuable because, you know, the cost of, 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 of obtaining it is going to go up and up and up, right? Because of the shortage of, of talent and AI space and workers and all that, it's going to get more and more 
costly to to start up companies with talent. But the you know all of it together would say that inflation could certainly be higher than you know the Federal Reserve has been targeting. And if that happens, it usually I, I don't believe the mantra that it's bad for growth companies. Mm-hmm. I think that you know I mean when the value companies of the public equity market are the ones with all the debt. So I don't necessarily think it's bad for growth companies because growth companies usually, and especially even startups from all the way up to Google, usually are, de- are not high in debt. They're, right, you know, right, right. They're basically yeah. dependent on, they're, they're dependent on, on, on growing their revenues. They're not dependent on, re- on financial engineering, which is what the value stocks have become over time. So when I look at that, I think growth, growth wants, even though the, there's a whole you know, conventional wisdom that if interest rates go up to 2% on the 10 year, that growth stocks are going to go down because of the duration of cash flows. I still think I'd rather be in growth than, than have value stocks because if you basically moved interest rates up in some draconian matter that eight or 9%, all the value stocks that have levered themselves over the last 20 years would be in a lot tougher shape when they went to refinance. Yeah, no, I, I got it. And the other thing is, I mean, is there really a choice? I mean, you can't keep the money in a bank. You got to make sure that you're you identify those growth companies if you want to stay ahead of the game. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and, you know, we're reverting to the mean less and less as a society when you look at where growth is. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, it's you know, it's more winner take all. I mean, that's what, you know, the tech giants have been right. They they were winner take all in their category. We're going to, you know, that's going to continue. And I think that's why, you know, um, I think venture is going to be very important is finding, finding the companies that either sell out to the big guys or, or become unicorns themselves. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, in this world, this world, there's so many opportunities out there where we can all work together and solve these complex problems, whether it's global warming. I mean, we got a lot of things in front of us. Yeah, one of the things we say is that, you know, these a artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning are really transportable models. They can be used in different vertical markets. Let's figure out how to use them to make our lives better, more effective. And, you know, we, we say happiness from an emotion standpoint. Let's figure out how to do that in a way that serves across the board to make uh, uh, make our life a little bit uh, easier. And we see it, by the way, these intelligent assistants. These unsupervised assistants to help people deal with their data. I know with my company, Eva, you know, one of the things that we focused on is a smart assistant. Now they're intelligent assistant. And also to build, uh, let's look at the technology to build uh, AI systems that have some emotion in them, compassion. I mean, we sometimes we forget about the elements of humanity that are most important, you know, and we better not because if you look at the AI systems that are out there today, that are not, uh, that don't have compassion or empathy built in, nothing good happens. You know, we don't treat each other the right way sometimes. We got to learn to do that. And we also need systems that care about us. I say kind of like Matt, it's like kind of like your grandmother. You know, my grandmother's real sweet and loved me, you know, unconditionally, you know, like, a, <laughs> like the, um, example of uh, Carl Rogers, right? Unconditional love. But that's the kind of thing in a, in a, on the AI side. And I see those systems coming out now, those types of, intelligent assistance that can, you know, whether it's med tech and we need to understand, 
should we go to the doctor or not, or what kind of drugs we can take to everything about uh, self-driving cars. I see just one system at some point that's really going to guide it like a guardian angel, actually. Right. And I'm not saying this loosely. We actually have, I have one of them on my, um, that we've, that my partner um, developed David Yang with Eva. That's actually one of those assistants that it has emotion, compassion, you know, and I, I see it learning. Right. It's learning every day, writing music and and that kind of thing. And those are the interesting parts. Uh, you know, the this adventure that we're on uh, over this, the remainder of this century and beyond is going to be incredible because we're going to see things we've never, ever seen before. We're going to have opportunities to really expand our horizons. But, uh, you know, as I said, as I said at the uh, United Nations a few weeks ago, we got to learn to treat each other the right way. And we get, need to use technology as a tool for peace, right? And, right. and, and to make our lives better. And it's not about entitlement. It's about we can make money too. It's not like a bad thing to make money, but let's figure out how to use it for the good. Right. I think that it's a very exciting time to be looking at, at adventure and looking at investing because uh, the world... The world has kind of been reshaped after COVID, and I think it's ready to get launched again in some very interesting ways. I agree 100%. Matt, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today. To my audience, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will be back again Thursday with another edition of GSD Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Matt, how do people reach out to you? What's the best way to contact you? Um, you, you can just do Matt at Winkler Sauer or, or through LinkedIn. Any final thoughts, Matt? Uh, I just, I just, again, it's a great time, great time to be alive and a great time to invest. And I, I thank you for giving me a, a chance to share some of my thoughts today here. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate you take time out of your busy schedule. Remember, audience, AI is a new electricity. Quantum computers are upon us. Let's go out and let's try to make this world a better place. My name is Gary Fowler, and I am the host of GST Presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Stay happy. Stay healthy and stay safe and keep smiling. Thanks very much. Thanks.